know I expect better than that. I said, praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? On this Sunday evening. Psalmist David said, I was glad when they said it to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Yeah. He didn't even mention what day of the week it was. He just said, somebody said, let's go to church. He said, all right, I'm happy. It might not even be church day, but somebody said, let's go to church, and I got to help Be happy. Stop. No, I was going to preach tonight. I, uh, I was very sad to hear that uh, Bishop Hammond had passed away. And I know that many of you have known him for a number of years. Uh, but we, we had the privilege of, of living there for about two years. I got to, to befriend Bishop Hammond personally. And uh, on, on Monday mornings, if you don't believe this, you just go over there to the Lockett Field, you grab Derek Barnett, and you ask him what, what our job was. He'll tell you something about a ruler and chairs. Every Sunday morning after church, we had to get out as rulers. Pastor Hammond. Wanted it exactly three foot from the back of the front of each chair. So it was our job. Sunday morning after church, we're going to put those chairs straight. And Monday morning, we would come after evening service. And we would clean up. I know Brother Bolton, Brother B, called me there at the church to clean up. He straightened up the chairs. And on Thursday morning, too, that was stuff. Monday morning. morning. That was our evening service. Summers. And uh, it, it was during this time. Uh, Bishop was, uh, he, he was a large man at the time, but he had got on a diet and decided he was going to start walking. And so every day he came, and I forget how many miles it was, my wife might never remind me, but how many wide miles it was that he would walk the church around that old sanctuary and pray the whole time. And that's how I got introduced to Bishop Hammond. Cleaning up the church and Here's this white-headed old man of God, miles and miles of walking, just talking to the Lord. And we would sometimes just sit down on the bench and we would just talk. And a young man of the Lord, and I can't begin to tell you how much he helped me. And we had a, a, a time where we went into a 24-hour prayer, and, and we had a, uh, on Saturdays, everybody had an hour of prayer, but on Saturdays it was special because you would come to the house of God and come to the church and pray. Uh, and at that time was the youth room and everybody would come on their dedicated hour. Now I remember mine was about 9 o'clock. And my time overlapped with Bishop Hammond. Bishop didn't pray an hour. Because he was still there when I got to pray. And I didn't wait for him to leave. I just, sometimes I didn't even get to pray. I just, man, I'm going to listen to him pray. <laughs> uh, and, and so I bring that up to, to, to say we, we lost a lot of really good men and women of God. And I wonder who's going to pick up the mantle. Come on, look back in the last 10 years. 
of this church and some of the super saints will be lost. And they're heroes, superheroes to me. And, and we've lost them. They've gone on to meet their reward. And I wonder who in the apostolic church is going to pick up the mantle of being the prayer warrior. Who is going to pick up the mantle of being the one that prays when everybody else stops praying? Who's going to be the one that picks up the mantle of being that anointed man or woman of God that will change their world? Is anybody want to take up the mantle of those of our forebears who have gone before us to carry the gospel of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Is anybody going to be that person? <laughs> Not like that comment. <laughs> Think about it. I tell you, God's good. I'm ready to go on church. Amen. Now, my esteemed colleague and fellow laborer in the Lord this morning, think about it. Stepped all over my message. It's hard to pray against now. It's not preaching. Move them off it, Lord. Move them off it, Lord. That's my text. Move them off it, Lord. I church and said, I just wanted to be known. I've been known where I was going for a long time. I did not steal this from you. So it is apparent to me that, uh, that God has something that he has wanted to say to his people. Yes. Amen. I, I, I had been praying and was praying the other day um, about revival. But I'm not talking about hand clapping, foot stomping, grab a preacher from some other state in the travel trailer type revival. We need, we need a revival in America that's different than any revival that we have ever seen in our generation. Amen. We don't just need a revival of, of hopey, changey, feeling good, and everybody's happy and clapping and good stuff. We need a genuine apostolic revival of repentance. Amen. A revival where people turn their lives around. A revival where cigarettes get left at the altar. A revival where people leave adulterous affairs at the altar. A revival where people turn their lives on a dime from following the world to following God. Amen. We don't need a revival of more stuff. We don't need a revival of more blessing. We don't need a revival of a new building. We need an apostolic revival of repentance where people say, God, I am the man. I was wrong and I'm going to change. Amen. And so, my prayer for revival of repentance has led me to feeling that the only message that I can preach is the one that Jesus came out of the box preaching. Repent. Out of the box. What does that mean? For the kingdom of God. Oh, think outside the box. I want to direct your attention tonight to two passages of Scripture. 
him with it. Because I am a button for punishment. I realized a few minutes ago that it had been 194 hours Here's since this. I last preached. It's a long that did not stop my time. Not nothing long way. <laughs> Joel 2 and 12. Joel. Therefore also Joel. now, Joel. saith the Lord, Joel. Joel. turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great oh, kindness, geez. and repenteth him of the evil. Verse 14 says, Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Now there's a message in and of itself. If you repent, he will. Now he don't have to repent of sins, he just changes his mind. If you'll, if you'll change direction, he'll change his mind. Don't write that down. That's mine to preach. Don't write that down. Now, I also want to direct your attention to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 18, verse number 21. Chapter 1. 18. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins and he Easy, and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that it's he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Verse 23 says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. I don't have any pleasure, he says, that the wicked perish. I just want him to change his direction. I come to you tonight to preach to you about the divine law of direction. A couple weeks ago we preached about the law of the harvest. But I'm going to preach to you tonight about God's law of direction. Because I, I stand for square and I can tell you that if you will change your direction, He'll change your destination. Amen. If you'll change your direction, He'll change your destiny. If you'll change the pathway that you're walking, He'll change your eternity. I wish somebody would give put the voice of shout to the Lord. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Yeah, we love you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Before you're seated tonight, look at your neighbor and tell them about if you'll change your direction. Change your ways. You'll change your destiny. Change your destiny. Change your destiny. God bless you. Be seated. We all have a destiny. It's an unbreakable appointment. I have one answer. That we have with eternity and with judgment. The writer of the New Testament said it this way. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. Nobody can escape this appointment. Whether you're a prince or a pauper. 
Whether you are rich or you are poor, you are young or you are old, it doesn't matter whether you are from the north or from the south, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your social status is, it doesn't matter even what your religion is. And I don't care how much tithe you pay, no one can escape the immutable law of death and judgment. For it is written that there is an appointment for every man, woman, and child that one day we will step out of this mortal and we will step into eternity whether you are ready or not. And then comes judgment. There is a supreme law under which we all must abide. And the writer of the Ecclesiastes said it this way, there is a time to be born. Notice he does not say there is a time to live. He says rather there is a time to be born for every man, child, or woman, child that cometh into the earth is born. But he says after a comma, there is then a time to die. It is certain as the seasons. It is fixed. It is immutable. It is unchangeable. That is certain as you were born, there is coming a day when you will pass away. In 1789, one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, wrote a letter to a world-renowned French scientist and thinker by the name of Jean-Baptiste Loire. He said, and I quote, But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And while over the past century we have had some individuals in our nation and around the world prove that you can evade taxes, there has yet to be anyone that has proved to be able to evade death. It is appointed unto man that we must one day perish and then stand before God in judgment. Our destiny then is certain. The grave is unavoidable. And the moment when we must give account to God, inescapable. We will all spend eternity somewhere. Amen. I know many of you have, have followed, as I have, Pastor Jeff Moses of uh, First Apostolic Church of the Fall of Tennessee. We uh, have heard him evangelize here for many years and He's pastoring the church there for many years now. And for the past 20 weeks or so, he's been preaching just about every service through the book of Revelation. And I, I, I'm intrigued. And I, I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff. And, and I, I remember individuals at one time would say, you do not want to miss this. And an announcement, you don't want to miss this youth event. You don't want to miss this thing we're doing. You would not want to miss it. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, of all the things that I've read and heard in the Revelation, you want to miss this. Oh, the rest of y'all, okay, that's fine. Bunch of big shots. I, I hear you think you're going to make it. That's fine, okay. I said, you don't, you, you want to miss Revelation. Anything you can't can do to get out of here before all that mess hits the earth. You better do it by hook or by crook. You need to get up out of here because what's coming on the earth, you want to miss. Amen. War and calamity and death and famine and devastation and woe. And after all of these things are complete, this is what John said he saw. 
And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whom, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, listen, every man. The book of Romans said that every man must give account to God. There's nobody that's going to stand that day that will not give an account, the Bible said, of every idle word, of every deed that you've done in the body, of everything that you have said in the flesh, of every sin, every unrighteousness, no matter who you are, no matter where you go to church, no matter what political party you belong to, or which flag you salute, we will all stand before the almighty God in judgment. This Amen. is the law of death in judgment. Amen. And all the church said, woe is me. Woe is me. I hate to be the bearer of good news. We're all going to die. Dismiss. It's clean. He's just energetic and happy tonight. So there's a law. We're all going to die. All going to be judged. Rainbows and lollipops. But I find then that there is another law. It is the divine law of direction. See, the divine law of direction says that you have the power to change your destiny. The divine law of direction says that you have the power to affect your eternity. Amen. We do not have the power today to escape the first death because it's an appointment that we must make. But the divine law of direction gives us the power to escape the second death. We cannot avoid the judgment because the Bible said that we must all give account to God in Revelation chapter 20. But the divine law of direction gives us the privilege of sending our sins before us in the judgment while the world must drag theirs from behind. I'm glad to know tonight that if I will follow the divine law of direction, I can repent and my sins can go before me. They can go under the blood. And when I stand in judgment and not all accuser tries to accuse me of my sin. I can stand there as Jesus said. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. Oh, I'm going to tell somebody about the divine law of direction. If you'll change the way that you're going, you'll change your eternal destination. Amen. It matters what direction you're going. Amen. Two minutes. Two people. Looked at Sodom. Thought it was a burden. What did the angel say to Lot? Don't even look back. What, did the, what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back? Two people looked back that day. Lot's wife turned 
into a pillar of salt. But your Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes toward Sodom. And he wasn't turned to a pillar of salt. Why? Because she was running towards the world and he was running towards God. I'm here to tell you your direction matters. It matters what things are chasing after. It matters what things are running after. It matters what things your heart seeks after. We've got to have our heart after the heart of God. Seeking the kingdom of God. Living a repentant life. Doing the best we can in this world to please Him. Amen. Take a look in your Bible of the books of Kings and Chronicles of what those sages of old thought that we should know about Israel's history. And you'll find a pattern every other chapter. So and so was the king of Israel over so and so period of time and either he did that which was right in the eyes of God or as was so prevalent he did that which was evil in the eyes of God. Hezekiah was one of those kings. The Bible said he did that which was right in the eyes of God. He was a good guy. He was a good dude. But he had a son who was a mess. And the Bible <laughs> said that the master was so wicked. In 2 Kings 21 and 2, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. After the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. He built up the high places and the altars, the scripture says. He planted the groves for false gods, and he worshipped the host of heaven. In verse 6, the Bible lets us know that he made his son to pass through the fire. He observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke, provoke him to anger. But this is what really got God's goat. He seduced Judah, the Bible said, to do more evil than all of the nations which the Lord had driven out. And the Bible said in 2 Kings 21 and 11, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall be now these are people who have read about what happened to Solomon and Gomorrah. They have read no doubt about what happened in Noah's day. They have read about what happened to all the kingdom of Shun and all of the kings of the Amorites. And yet God said, what I'm bringing in judgment, what I'm pronouncing on Judah because of your sin, is so big, is so massive, that your ears will tingle because of it. I was stretched. Over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wiped the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, and I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. Why? Because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day that their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. This is the judgment. That was a Two generations of evil kings drove Judah even deeper into sin, deeper into depravity, deeper into idolatry. Until a day, the Bible said that there was another king that was born. It said that Josiah began to reign when he was eight years old, and he did that which was right 
in the eyes of God. In many years into Josiah's reign, the Bible said that he sent men to the house of God to repair the breaches, to fix what was broken, to put it all together and to repair the damage. And while there, the priest that was overseeing the work said, I quote, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The Bible said that the priest took it to the scribe and said, you read it and see what it says. And the scribe read it and said, let's take it to the king and see what it says. So they took the word of the Lord to the king and they read every jot and every tittle from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. He read them the Torah. And when he was done hearing the law of God, the Bible said that the king rent his clothes. Why? Because rending of the clothes expresses the deepest feeling of sorrow and anguish. It's the symbol of a broken heart. Let me tell you today, God will never turn away somebody that's got a broken heart. God will never turn away somebody that hears the word of God and it breaks their spirit. God will never turn away somebody that's moved upon with conviction. The Bible said it this way, the Lord is nigh under the endeavor of a broken heart and Satan such as being a contrite spirit when you hear the word of God and it pierces your heart you need to respond when the pastor preaches when brother calls and preaches when the evangelist preaches and you're moved upon by the spirit and it pierces and breaks your soul you need to respond read your calls and repent amen
He simply said, repent. Turn around. Make a decision that I'm going to be different. Make a decision that I'm going to follow him. Make a decision I made up my mind that Jesus is Messiah. And I'm going to repent and turn my life to him. That day, 3,000 souls. Why? Because a message got preached. If you'll turn to him, he'll turn to you. If you'll repent of your sin, he'll repent of his judgment. I wish somebody today would know that if you'll repent and change your direction, he'll change your eternal destiny. Amen. Josiah tried to change Judah. Josiah did everything that he could do. And this is what the Lord of the Lord came to the prophet in Josiah's day. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. You mean I did this all for nothing? That's what happens. We stop reading. Read through the colon. This is what he says. Because they have forsaken me. And have burned incense unto other gods. That they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place. And shall not be quenched. But. Injunction, junction. What's your function? But. I love it. Bad news. Woe and chaos and sore and devastation, but, but to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, I got a special word for him. Thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I speak against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse. You rent your clothes, you went before me. I want you to know that I heard you, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into the grave in peace, and thy eyes shall see all the evil which I bring upon this place. There is a way to avoid the judgment. Hear the word of the Lord. Repeat it and change your direction. And in changing your direction, you'll change your destiny. It's the divine law of direction. Forty days, prophet said, Forty days, and I will overthrow Nineveh. This was the message from the Lord to the capital of the Assyrians. Forty days, get it right, or I will overthrow you. Nineveh was a wicked city. As a matter of fact, almost the entire book of the prophet Nahum is exclusively written as a prophetic denunciation of Nineveh. And the prophet Zephaniah, in his writings, prophesied of its destruction along with all of Assyria. The Bible said, cry against that city. Go and tell them what
what's going to happen. Let me just tell you, the word of the Lord does not come to you from the man of God unless God is giving you a space. You don't like your toes getting stepped on. And I don't like it either. It doesn't feel good. But thank God that a man of God gets behind the pulpit with a message for me for the moment. Y'all want to help me right now. <clears throat> Why? Because the prophet said, I, I just assumed that I'm going to condemn them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I come to save you. The word of the Lord doesn't go forth to condemn and to damn you. It goes forward to save you, to draw you to repentance and get your heart right with God. Cry against it. Don't give them the word of the Lord. I'm giving them 40 days. Then it was going to be overthrown. Walls will be torn down. Barns will be burned. Buildings collapsed. Flocks destroyed. Provisions ransacked. Property pillaged. This is their destiny. That's what Joel. That's the message that went forth. That's what the preacher preached. Forty days. So you got. Prepare to meet thy God, as Amos said. Your hour of visitation is coming. Get ready. How did Nineveh respond? Oh well. Eat, sleep, be married, and tomorrow we die. How did Nineveh respond to the word of the Lord that said, You've got a destiny that's in front of you. You've got 40 days, and I'm going to overthrow you. The Bible said it this way. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. you got to start believing God. You've got to take God in His Word. He's not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. There's not a word that he utters that's ever going to come back to him void. And everything that he said, he will do. The promises of God, they're yea and they're amen. I, I want you to know if God said he'd do it, he's going to do it. So you better start minding the word of God. Believe the word of God. So they believe God. That's the first step. Oh, man, I was wrong. I don't know about you, but when, when I got saved, I had that feeling like, oh, this ain't good. Whew. This ain't good. I'm going to hell. These folks just didn't feel that way. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Am I talking to myself right now? I don't know. I don't know about you, but when God got a hold of me, there was something on the inside that said, you're going to hell. There was an urgency that got a hold of me. There was a passion and a desire. I don't care what it takes. I watch. I believe God. I believe that one day I'll stand before it and I'm going to do something to get right. Amen. They believe God. <laughs> they didn't buck the preacher. 
say I'm going to withhold the tithe. Or I'm going to find somewhere else to go because the preacher preached the heart. No, they believe God. And what did they do? They called a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest to them, even to the least, because they all knew the destinies the same on our rich report. We're all going to hell. For the word came into the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king. And his noble saying, Let neither man nor beast, nor flock, or herd taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that's in their hands. Why? Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away? I want you to know today that if you'll repent, God will repent. Amen. If you'll turn your life around, he'll turn around his judgment. He'll cause his judgment to fall off. He'll save you. He'll restore you. He'll heal you to the uttermost. If you'll just turn around. Amen. God saw their works. wicked, wicked, evil nation. These wicked, wicked, evil people that serve false gods. He sent a message of repentance. Forty days and I'm going to throw you over. Forty days and I'm going to judge you. Forty days and you're going to meet your God. But they called a fast and they all repented and they turned from their wickedness and the Bible said God saw their works that they turned from all their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did not the people of Nineveh changed their destiny by finding a place of repentance and turning around to walk in a new direction. And if you'll do that today, I know that God's judgment will pass away. Jesus' ministry was predicated upon one message. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. And what was his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's coming. There's coming one after me who's shoe latching. I'm not worthy to loose. But I, I want you to know that it's time to repent because it's close. Amen. Jesus walks out. About 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting and being tempted of the devil. And what's the first sermon that he preaches? Not peace and mercy and we're going to end our days. Not rainbows and unicorns. It wasn't healing and virtue and prosperity and all that other garbage is getting preached in churches across the world today. Jesus' earthly message began in Matthew chapter number 4 when your, your Bible said his sermon started. Repent! Think differently in the Greek. Reconsider your ways. I know we perform miracles. I 
know he healed sick folk. I know he raised folks from the dead. But can I present to you today that God's miracles were again and are still today for only one purpose so that sinners will repent and believe the gospel through getting healed of cancer? It's just not God being good to you. You better testify so that a sinner can repent and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, God blesses you financially. It's not just for you. It's so that you can go to a sinner and tell them how good God was. So they'll repent and believe the gospel. Amen. His message was then, repent. Because it's not my will that any soul should perish. That's what Peter said. 2 Peter 3 and 9. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even the worst amongst us. Even the Ninevites amongst us. The murderer, the adulterer, the fornicator, the gangbanger, the drug abuser, the liar and the thief. Everyone. Everyone. He's not willing that any soul should perish. He would reach out to the wicked people of Assyria. And if he would spare the wicked from judgment, how much more so would he reach out to spare? He said in Ezekiel, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. <clears throat> Everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that died, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live he said the same thing at the, at, at the two mountains, the mountain of a blessing and the mountain of cursing. When Moses stood upon the mountain and read the law, he said, I set before you life and death. Wherefore, choose life. And I've come to preach to somebody. Choose a direction that lead them to life. Choose a direction that lead them to eternity. With the Lord, repent and choose life. Our Lord has been nailed to the cross, wrongfully accused of blasphemy, and condemned to die. What historians will tell you is one of the most horrible and painful causes of death. The world has ever known. There's another message for another day, but he will to replace somebody who deserved it. See, Barabbas was the real gift of Christ. Not only did he take my place at Calvary, but he took Barabbas' place at Calvary. He was the replacement for a man who deserved it. And he took his place. So Barabbas got forgiven? Took my yeah. place at Calvary. I am the man. I'm the one that deserved to be there. Uh, 
I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that deserved to die lost. I'm the one that deserved to walk into Sheol. I'm the one that deserved to be my last. I'm the one that was guilty. I'm the one that deserved to be lost. But he took my place on Calvary. Come here. On an old rugged cross. Between what the Bible said in Luke 23, two male factors. And there were also two others, male factors, wicked doers, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Verse 39 says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, Thou be Christ, save thyself. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds for this day. He's done nothing to us. See, we deserve it. <clears throat> we were wrong. We are the sinners. But this man that hangs with us today, he's innocent. Matthew 15 says it a little different. It says that he was hanged with two thieves, <coughs> common criminals. But the way that Luke's gospel mentions that they were male factors points to the quite possible there were not just two people in Jesus. But there might have been four. Because the two thieves, two thieves both were in. You see, the word for male factor here is the word kakuris. There's not always another thief or a robber was a term likewise applied to the Jewish soldiers who were hurried by their zeal to commit some crime in opposition to the Roman authority. See, in Jesus' day, ever since B.C. 64, the Romans had been in charge. And since that time, Israel was trying to throw off the yoke of God's judgment. And from time to time, False Christs and false messiahs, one named Judas of Galilee, would arise and would try to overthrow the government and it would suck in young men. They were called zealots. They're mentioned in the book of Acts chapter number 5. They're zealots who would try to overthrow the government and when they got carried away trying to follow a false Christ, they would be locked up in a dungeon Sentenced to be crucified. And perhaps it's here that this male factor, who had realized that I've been following the wrong one that's led me to this place today. But maybe it was in that dungeon where he awaited for the penalty to be put forth that he heard a message from someone that there is a man from Galilee and he heals and he delivers 
and he preaches repentance. We don't really know. We don't really know what was going through his mind that day. But while others railed on him and mocked him and spat upon him, this one man said, Lord, that's what he called it. He didn't say sir. He didn't say rabbi. He said, Lord, you're here unjustly. I'm the man. I deserve it. But will you remember me? When you get to your kingdom. I followed the wrong people. I chased after the wrong things. But I'm here in my last moments. And I recognize that you're the Lord. And I need you. And I repent. Will you remember me?
times of this ignorance, God, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that man? Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. If you want to ensure your eternity, there's only one way to do it. Come on, if you want to ensure your eternity is in heaven and not hell, he said there's only one way. I call the every man everywhere to repent, to turn around from following the world to following the Lord. Joel proclaimed the woe, the solemn assembly. Repent, he said. Turn your heart to God. And when the people had done so, when they called that assembly, when they had turned their hearts and their minds to God, he said, Be glad then. Children of Zion rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The floor shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I know you had a destiny, but he said, if you'll repent, I will restore to you the years. That the locusts have eaten, the trickle worm, the caterpillar, and the flower, my great army which I sit among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that I've dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass out for you, sin. If you'll turn, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. The sons and your daughters are prophesied, your old men will drink dreams and your young men. See visions and also upon my servants and upon my enemies. In those days when I pour out my spirit. If you want hope, if you want all the years that you've wasted on the prodigal restored, repent. Come home. He's waiting as a father with open arms to receive you. Will you come home? Will you just come home? Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sin. Turn from your iniquity. Turn from your failings. Turn from your falling sword. And just come home. He will receive you. And he will restore everything you've lost. And give you a new destiny. Can we pray? Come on, somebody ought to reach out to the Lord. Be away from God. The Lord has said, repent. Repent. Turn around. It's the divine law of direction. If you'll change your direction, you'll change your destiny.